0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, Rich Ireland's crime podcast for the Irish Daily Star and the Irish Mirror. I'm Crime and Defence Editor Michael O'Toole, and I'm joined today by our crime correspondent Paul Healy. Hello, Paul. Hello, Mick. So we, we have an, o- an awful lot of evidence to go through. We're obviously covering the latest day of the, I think it's day seven of the trial of Joseph Puska, who is on trial at the Central Criminal Court, and the, the allegation is that he murdered... Aisling Murphy on the 12th of January 2022. Now, Mr. Pusk is a 33 year old from Lynalley Grove in Muckle in County Offaly, and as I say, he was on trial in front of this Central Criminal Court and he denies the murder of Aisling Murphy. Now, it's a jury of three women and nine men, and the trial judge is Mr. Justice Tony Hunt. So, as I said, today was day seven and there was quite a lot to go through. We normally go chronologically, but we've decided to go sort of forward to go back, I suppose. And it really we're going to talk about, Paul's going to talk about two technical Gardaí, guardy from the technical side of the force, who gave evidence today. Detective Sergeant Michael Ryan and then a detective guard Kieran Byrne.
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, Mick, there are two key witnesses in relation to uh, this particular piece of evidence, and this is in relation to a mobile phone device and a Fitbit uh, smartwatch device um, <clears throat> that are associated with Miss Murphy. And we heard evidence from both of these uh, members of Garda They are members of the National Cyber Crime uh, Bureau of Garda Siakana. And they were tasked with uh, basically breaking into these uh, items, into the phone and into the watch to be able to see uh, what's on them, you know, and to establish who the owner is. I mean, obviously they suspected that it was Miss Murphy. They were able to confirm that it, it belonged to an account in her name, and uh, we'll we'll go through that in in forensic detail in a moment. But just just they went through the evidence of this Fitbit watch in particular, um, and the I suppose the last movements, uh, what it detected on that watch. Ultimately, the last movements, uh, that that is what it's alleged by the state, the last movements of. Ashling Murphy on that day on the twelfth of January, twenty twenty two. So the first. So uh, I
0: think I think so I think it's fair to say that uh, Detective garter Ryan give the sorry Detective Garter Byrne gave the bulk of the evidence today. But before that, Detective Sergeant Michael Ryan from the Cybercrime Bureau was on. So would you maybe just go through very briefly what he
1: said. Yes, so the Detective Sergeant Ryan just kind of outlined that he would be, I suppose, the head of the of the cybercrime unit and he was involved in the examination of the mobile phone um, and of the Fitbit watch just initially. And he, he said that he uh, he was actually shown uh, the watch and the phone in court, so he saw them kind of bagged up and he just confirmed that they're the same items that he examined. He was made aware, obviously, of the investigation in Tullamore and uh, he was able to... to basically see that the phone fo- uh, it's confirmed that the phone uh, was linked to an account uh, an email address um, Ashling Murphy 1998 um, I think at hotmail.com was the email address the court was told so he said he managed to gain access and he connected to the Fitbit uh, on a Garda laptop and he synchronized the smartwatch then and he downloaded what he called residue data from it and he was able to extract a password then from that, and accessed the Fitbit account, and he said the password was actually located on uh, Miss Murphy's phone in a clear text format. And then he explained that his it was his colleague, uh, Detective Garda Kieran Byrne, who he who he tasked with uh, accessing that uh, Fitbit account and examining it in detail.
0: And I think he he would have told the court that he was aware Miss Murphy was wearing a Fitbit on the day she died.
1: Yes, so he was privy to that information from the investigating Garda and obviously then he was handed that particular item that was found on her on her body on her, at the time.
0: And it was a Fitbit Versa
1: 3. A Fitbit Versa 3 device, yeah. So Detective Garda Ciarán Byrne, uh, he was on the stand for quite a bit today and as I mentioned he is the Garda who looked into this Fitbit account and was able to access... Uh, that account after they got the password from it from the phone. So there's an app on Miss Murphy's phone for Fitbit and uh, that was attached to the uh, particular device. So the detective guy just kind of outlined because it's not easy to show the data as it appeared so he made a series of graphs uh, outlining each particular piece of data that they were able to extract uh, from this Fitbit watch device and that was in relation to heartbeat uh, in relation to direction and pace uh, of of the, the last movements of Miss Murphy and in particular I suppose maybe the most harrowing evidence certainly harrowing for the family of Miss Murphy who were seated behind me was in relation to the heartbeat to the, to the actual heart rate on this fitbit device because it detected what the state is saying is uh, the last movements as i say and the last heart rate of uh, miss murphy herself and it it we will go into this in a bit of detail in a minute but he just outlined at the at the outset that uh, there was a consistent pace and then at around 3 21 pm on that day um the heart rate decreased and was no longer recording a heartbeat uh, the Fitbit was no longer recording a heartbeat at 3.31pm.
0: So just, just to go slightly backwards, I think the, the detective said he would have, to calibrate this, he would have used another Fitbit and he would have taken the same route that the the, the GPS from the Fitbit mapped out. So there was essentially a plotted map or a plotted graph of the, the walk that Miss Murphy took on her last uh, days.
1: Yeah, so this was interesting. Obviously, uh, apart from uh, in investigating the device itself, Detective Garda Byrne uh, went out to the scene. He said and tracked the route of Ashling Murphy uh, to just examine and to ensure that the route was accurate uh, on the watch. He bought they had purchased the same make and model watch, and he wore it himself. And he did that route to see that it was accurate to the same route that was recorded on Miss Murphy's watch. And then we saw this graph that was put up on the screen and you could see a silhouette of a person and basically each individual plot point. So the first one was the direction, the route in which Miss Murphy took. And there's individual points of interest on that, which was basically um, for each kilometre that she passed and then other things of note. So it showed the, the... uh, as I mentioned, the GPS, the elevation, the speed, and the heart rate were all individual, different graphs that the Garda had mapped out and went through in each in detail.
0: And I, I thought it was interesting. Listeners will remember that there was CCTV footage last Friday when I was in court of Miss Murphy parking at the Dangan Road car park and then walking over the the the, the Whitehall Bridge and then the footbridge over the canal over onto the other side of the canal. And, 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 and if I recall, that was at roughly 1450. And I noted with interest that your tweets, the detective guard has said, effectively at the same time, as was 1451 that she started basically, so she basically got out of her car. We know she drove there from school. She so basically got out of her car at 1451.
1: Yeah, now it's hard to 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 describe this what we were seeing, but it, we, it, thankfully the guard did go through this in detail. But that we could see this map of the of the route along the canal, and you could see the start point was at the car park as you mentioned, and then her exercise started as she came in onto the walkway into the canal, and it shows that uh, that the Fitbit device showed that her exercise began at two fifty one p.m. coming from the car park into the canal. And walking what we were told in a westerly direction over the bridge as you mentioned and then uh traveling easterly and we heard that ultimately she did uh, turn around at one point when she got to digby's bridge and came back then in the direction that she had been going uh that uh, basically basically did the other half of her walk coming back the way she came
0: yeah maybe she could expand on this so she went westerly first to, to go over the two bridges but then she sort of got to the other side of the canal and headed eastwards along the canal up the Digsby bridge and I think I think the guard gave evidence she would have gone under the overpass or the flyover for the n52 it's, it's a bridge basically going over the canal she she went she went she walked along the canal for probably two kilometers to Digby bridge and then turned back on herself heading back to the dangan Road car mm-hmm
1: Yeah, and then as I mentioned, there were individual points of interest on this map, which were um, basically things that the device recorded. So you you might know if you have a Fitbit device yourself, it records for each kilometre that you do. So there was at 3.01pm she did her first kilometre, and then by 3.20pm she had done three kilometres. What Garda uh, Byrne noted of interest is that at 3.21pm then, uh, that is when the consistency of the journey stopped. He said there was no cons- no longer consistent values, and that the watch was showing what he termed as erratic, violent movement, and it appeared to be swaying in a constant manner. He said, at three twenty one p.m. So up until that point, she appeared to be going at the same pace. Everything was traveling in a consistent manner, and then three twenty one is when everything uh, is alleged, according to the device and the inf- the evidence given in court. That's when everything changed. So he said, uh, as he as he mentioned, he uh, you know as we already mentioned, he did do that route himself, and um, you know he was able to determine that that exact spot uh, where Miss Murphy was at three twenty one p.m. is where her memorial now stands. So there's a if anyone has been down to that area of the canal, there is a bench there with Ashling Murphy's name on it and a picture of her. And it's a, it's a memorial shrine for her, the, the, the spot where she is alleged to have been murdered. And it, and according to the detective guard on the stand today, that is the same spot where at 3.21, the device records uh, this erratic movement.
0: And I think the detective said that the location, maybe I think, is it for 10 minutes? It doesn't really move, obviously. I mean, just looking at your notes there, Paul, at fifteen sixteen, she seems to have turned at Digby Bridge and headed back westwards towards Tullamore. And as you say, fifteen twenty one, it becomes erratic. But I think he says after that, there's no real. It effectively doesn't move from that spot.
1: Yes, it effectively doesn't move from that spot, and uh, it, it that, that it that is where her heart rate changes as well. So the, as I mentioned, the heart rate uh, stuff was particularly harrowing. In that uh, we heard that there was. Um, it changes in her heart rate so her heart rate was started at about 100 beats per minute and uh, it then increased gradually as she did her exercise and then when it came to uh, as I said this 3 21 p.m uh, it's decreasing and we then heard that there was a slight increase at three twenty seven p.m it went up and down then until 3 31 p.m when there was no longer any heart rate picked up Uh, by this particular uh, Fitbit device now in relation to that just Michael Bowman senior counsel for Mr. Puska did challenge about the accuracy of such a device and he pointed out uh, he said that is his understanding that the company Fitbit themselves and that they don't say that this should be used in any kind of scientific or medical manner Uh, the accuracy uh, accuracy of it as such and the detective guard had just pointed to his own evidence and the route that he took and his understanding of it that it is within about 10% accurate in terms of uh, heartbeat and the data that it produces but Mr Bowman was just pointing out that um, the data from Fitbit cannot necessarily be uh, determined to be scientifically or medically accurate to a person's, you know, actual heart rate. And uh, so that was evident, That was something that he pointed out when cross-examining the witness.
0: So, Paul, thanks for that. That was the end of, of Detective Garda Burns' evidence. So maybe we should go back, get back backwards to go forward, shall we say, and go to the fir- first witness of the day, who was a gentleman from Slovakia.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, this gentleman's name is Rotislav Patuka, and he is a Slovakian national and a bus driver in the Tullamore area. And we heard that he is a family friend of Josef Puska's family. Um, and his evidence uh, was in relation to uh, a, an alleged encounter that he says he had with Josef Puska uh, the night of um, Miss, the, the night uh, that Miss Murphy had been had been killed earlier in the day. So the night of the twelfth. And in relation to his evidence, he said that he was, uh, basically he gave two statements to the guardy. So in his first statement, he told gardie that he had last had an encounter with Josef Puska um, on on the 11th. Um, and we then heard that he actually subsequently gave evidence, uh, sorry, that he subsequently spoke to gardie again uh, and told them that he had actually met uh, Mr. Puska on the night of the 12th and that Mr. Puska had come to his house around about nine o'clock at night And had called to his door and he appeared to be wet and that he had blood coming out of him and he looked as though he had been in a fight he said he looked blue in the face and he looked like something bad had happened to him and he was asked just i'm kind of going a bit out of chronological order here but people might be wondering why did he give uh, a second statement why didn't he say that the first time he was asked about this in cross-examination and basically said Um, that he was in fear for his family uh, and for his children, um, that there had been a lot of stuff that was going on on social media at the time. And uh, Mr. Mr. Michael Bowman, senior counsel, had said that things were ugly. Is it fair to say that things were ugly in Tullamore at that time? And he said more than that. As he said, he felt fear for his family. So I mentioned he was a bus driver, that he drove kids, school kids, and he felt that parents in Tullamore had entrusted him with their children. Um, and uh, he had heard in the news uh, and on social media that a Romanian national had been arrested at that point in time. We heard mention of that already. Um, and so he was concerned about coming forward with the information that he knew. Uh, um, but he ultimately made the decision to go back to the Gardaí and tell them uh, that Mr. Pusca had come to his home on the night of the 12th, around 9 o'clock at night, and that he looked like he had been in a fight, the blood coming out of him. And that the circumstances were unusual. He said that Mr. Puska was scared and it wasn't like him uh, to be acting the way he was. So he said he had uh, Mr. Puska was wet, scratched in the face and the scratches were bleeding. Um, And that Mr. Puska was basically coming to his home to ask him for a lift home. Um, So, you know, Mr. Puska has an address in Line Alley Grove there in Muckla and County Offaly. And he was asking uh, uh, Mr. Rituka, who the, we heard in, in court that Mr. Rituka is often referred to as Peter, so he's known locally as Peter, and that's the name that he uses. Um, and and he basically says that Mr. Puska asked him for a lift home.
0: And did just and did Mr. Puska tell him, or is his evidence that Mr. Puska told him he had been in a fight?
1: Yes. So he said he looked like he'd been in a fight, and that Mr. Puska told him that he had been in a fight and he said uh, he said that Mr Puska responded with that when he asked him what had happened to him he said that he didn't look right and he was thinking something had happened to him and he asked him you know well why didn't you call the guards and Mr Puska didn't really give him a, a satisfactory answer on that he said he didn't really get much out of Mr Puska and and that uh, he drove him home and on the drive home um he actually asked him 20 times for more information but he wasn't getting he was said Mr Puska wasn't really uh giving him details as to what had happened so he dropped them they were to Ly- line alley grove and we heard that just as they got to the roundabout just before the house uh that mr Puska asked him to slow down in case there was somebody there outside the house uh, and he said well you know why would you be worried about someone at your house if you did nothing wrong um and and mr Puska again didn't divulge an answer to that um, and he brought him to the house and Mr. Puska went in and the last thing Mr. Puska said to him was I'll sort you out tomorrow and he saw him then go into the house and that was the end of his interaction with Mr. Puska that night then we got into the cross-examination and we heard about the uh, alleged ugly atmosphere in Tullamore you know, and the reason why he didn't divulge this information in the first place um, and the arrest of this Romanian national as I said
0: so who is the next? That that was the end of his evidence, basically.
1: Mm. Sorry, I, I meant to yeah. So I just want to mention. Sorry, just in relation to the car, he he said that when Mister Puska was in the car with him, uh, that he was physically shaking, um, and he could tell that there was something wrong. The color was out of his face, and he also was asked by Mister Bowman in cross examination, uh, did he appear to have any injuries to his stomach, stab injuries? And he said he can just recall Mister Puska was holding his stomach. Um, at the time and we we heard then at uh, the judge in, uh, intervened at this Mr Justice Hunt did ask um, are you saying uh, or are you under instructions from your client uh, that he was at this point injured that is the night of the 12th uh, and he said that instructions are different from evidence and he uh, Mr Bowman said well he is of course acting on instructions from his clients so his client is Uh, Mr. Puska is alleging that uh, when he called to the house at this point in time, uh, that he had the stab injuries to his abdomen that we've heard about at that time. And we'll come back to that now when we speak about the the next evidence.
0: So that's his position, essentially, that he was stabbed when he met uh, Peter, uh, the the Slovakian man. Yes. On the 12th, 12th. before he went to Crumlin in South Dublin. Yes. But let's go to Crumlin. So as you say, the next witness we're going to go to is Detective Garda-Kevin O'Shocknessy from Crumlin Garda Station. And on the 13th of January, so the day after the death of of Miss Murphy, he gave, evident, gave evidence that he was called to a house in Crumlin. He attended an incident there on the Armagh Road.
1: Yeah, so we've mentioned this incident at the Armagh Road before, but we've come back to it now indeed. So we've heard from, from, from paramedics in relation to this and from... Uh, As I said, members of Dublin Fire Brigade and the National Ambulance Service who attended to this house and found Mr. Puska, uh, we mentioned this in the previous podcast, that he was leaning over a bedside locker and that he uh, appeared to have stab injuries. So these are the guardee that called to the house and Detective Garda Kevin O'Shocknessy was one of them and he said that at 11.20am he received a call to attend the incident They initially arrived at the wrong address, but then they were directed to the correct address. He went into the bedroom and he said he found a man slouched with his head on the bed and that he was screaming in pain. And he he said he allowed uh, the ambulance personnel in to treat Mr. Puska. He then went in up to the hall to the living area and he met a couple of other relatives. There were two women and an elderly male, he said, and uh, one of the women, women, Marianne was her name, uh, she basically interpreted for him, she she was the only person able to speak English in the house, and she identified the injured man as being uh, her relative Josef Puska. Um, so the Garda says he went, uh, he'd been told uh, that Mr Puska had presented at his, so this address was his parents' home, and that he presented there the previous evening, um, and he then saw Mr Puska being brought out to the ambulance, and he said that's when he noticed the marks on his face. Um, And just in cross-examination, he was asked just to confirm that it was Mr. Puska's father's home um, and and that this was, this person, we've heard about this translator before, just that this person was actually a female translator, uh, sorry, that she was a female relative of Mr. Puska.
0: Okay, so the next witness was Garda Keith Brennan, who's also from Crumlin Garda Station.
1: Yes, yeah, so Garda Keith Brennan as well also attended the home and so he said that Mr. Puska was actually lying with his knees on the ground and his face on the bed. Uh, he identified himself as an armed Garda and instructed uh, Mr. Puska to show his hands because he couldn't see his hands and he said that the accused then did show his hands and that he was making groaning noises and he was unable really to talk because he was in such pain. The ambulance personnel came in, placed him on the bed and uh, uh, this particular witness said that he could see uh, a stab wound just below Mr. Puska's belly button um, he went out and met uh, Miss Marianne uh, she is the, the 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 relative who could speak English and they went in and had the conversation with Mr. Puska a very brief conversation and he said that uh, Marianne said she had a conversation with Mr. Puska's wife the previous evening um, and he was informed by her uh, that Mr. Puska's wife had tried to go to a Garda station to report him missing um, and that's that's subsequent to that then they went in and tried to have a conversation with Mr. Puska and he asked him where did you get your injuries and the accused said Blanchardstown and he said he, he had alleged that he had received those injuries in the Blanchardstown area of Dublin. OK,
0: so I think we're on witness six and I think this was the, the final witness uh, of the day, and that's Guardist Sergeant Paul McDonald, who I believe is also from Blanchardstown station. Yes. Uh, or he's from Blanchardstown station. Sorry. The others were from Crumlin. The
1: others. Yeah, the, the other guard, the guard that attended the scene were from Crumlin and then uh, Sergeant McDonnell uh, was from Blanchardstown Guard station. Um, So he told the court that he was alerted to an incident that had happened at Blanchardstown Shopping Centre on the 12th of January. So the same day that Miss Murphy was killed. And this uh, incident happened at the shopping centre in Blanchardstown in the evening on the 12th of January. And it was a stabbing incident. And he was told that two people had been injured in that stabbing. He was alerted then also to the presence of an injured man in St. James's Hospital who had stab injuries and who had said that he was possibly uh, injured in an incident in Blanchardstown. And this guy obviously put two and two together and thought, uh, this particular person in the hospital may be a victim of the stabbing incident that happened at Blanchardstown uh, Shopping Centre. So himself and his colleague, they went to James's hospital, they went to the A&E, and they asked to see Mr. Puska, and they went into a room and found Mr. Puska there in a bed, asleep, Uh, And they basically, they alerted him, woke him up. He said he woke up straight away and uh, he immediately was cooperative in speaking to them. And he he described him as being in a good humor. Now, he realized that they they had been told ahead of time uh, that Mr. Puska was a Slovakian national. So they had arranged for a translator to speak to uh, speak, basically have an interpreter over the phone. So they had a conversation with Mr. Puska, with this interpreter on the phone. And they basically asked him could uh, he assist in in telling them what had happened to him and what had happened in this incident in blanchardstown so he says mr pusca told him uh, that he came from the tullamore area to the dublin area in and around houston, houston station and that he then took a taxi to the blanchardstown area and he said that he got out of this taxi and he was immediately set upon and assaulted by two males he was then asked could he give a description of these two males and he gave a description of the first male but he was unable to give a description of the second male. Uh, a quote I have here from, from, uh, from the sergeant is he told me in simple terms that he was assaulted. So he also believed his phone was stolen during the incident uh, as he said he didn't have it on him and he said he was very shook and that he returned to his father's address uh, that evening in the Crumlin area but he couldn't recall uh, exactly how he got there.
0: And did he did he give an indication as to why he was going to Blanchardstown? He was going to meet somebody, was he?
1: He said that he was going to meet a woman. Uh, he wasn't able to uh, tell the Garda who this woman was, the identity of this of this lady. Uh, and similarly, he couldn't, he couldn't say or uh, couldn't remember or couldn't recall how he got to the house in Crumlin. Uh,
0: but he, uh, he indicated that he had injuries in his abdomen and he pointed to those injuries and he gave an explanation as to what, what he believes happened to him.
1: Yes, he pointed to the, the injuries on his abdomen and stomach and we heard that he was kind of bandaged up in that area at that point and uh, he, he indicated that he got those injuries from the incident in Blanchardstown. Um, so the sergeant then asked could he take a photograph of Mr. Puska's hand which he said had distinctive cup marks on it and he took a photograph of that hand uh, and we actually saw uh, that that, photo- that photograph was shown to the jury in the courtroom today uh, he said that there were similar uh, marks on the other hand and that he had marks to his head. He kind of had red uh, marks on his on his, on his his head and on his hands.
0: And uh, I believe the guard has said that Mr. Puska was in an increased state of discomfort during the conversation.
1: Yes, yeah, so at this point an alarm actually went off and this disrupted their conversation because Mr. Puska seemed to be in an increased sense of discomfort, as you mentioned, and with the alarm going off, uh, the attention of the on-duty nurse was then... They got the attention of the on-duty nurse, and that ended their conversation, basically with Mr. Puska. Um, So the sergeant he went back to uh, Blanchardstown Garda Station, and he relayed to his colleagues what had happened. And his colleague actually made a connection uh, about what we were told at that stage was the well-publicised death of Ashling Murphy, uh, and that his colleague then made the connection uh, between um, the incident uh, with Mr. Puska and what happened to Miss Murphy we didn't we we may go into this I'm I, I'm sure his colleague will be called as a witness uh, to relay that but that that's as much as we heard in relation to that Um, the sergeant he later went back to Guard Station because he was asked about a uh, the clothes that Mr Puska was wearing uh, he obviously wasn't wearing the clothes when he was in the ward uh, when he was in the A&E but he went back to see if he could establish uh, the clothing that Mr Puska was wearing yeah, so he, he was told by a consultant um, that Mr. Puska had been transferred uh, for treatment and then he was going to be brought back to a recovery ward. Um, he asked for access to the CCTV, but he was told um, by this particular consultant that he would need a search warrant for that. And that basically concluded uh, his evidence and the evidence for today.
0: OK, and we're back tomorrow?
1: We'll be back tomorrow, yeah. I'm sure there will be uh, further Garda witnesses. Um, we heard at the outset of this case... Uh, in by prosecuting counsel uh miss lawler and marie lawler and um, that the accused is alleged to have made a confession in hospital um we haven't got to that point now in the case but obviously we're talking about the alleged incident in the hospital and we know that the prosecution's case is that there is an alleged confession so i expect we'll be hearing more about that uh, if not tomorrow certainly in the coming days
0: yeah, we'll, we'll see what tomorrow brings. And just a reminder that Mr Justice Tony Hunt said he expects the case to be, or the extent of the case, to be the 10th of November. So that's Friday week. It is indeed. OK, so we'll be back again. Uh, I'll be covering the case tomorrow. You're on something else, Paul. So uh, we'll be talking again probably tomorrow evening.
1: We will. Thanks as ever for listening.
0: Thanks, everybody. And thanks to Kieran Bradley, our producer.
1: Thank you.